Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 487 for June 26th, 2019. On today's show, vocalist Ashley Daneman. No new members since the last show, but you can be the next one by joining today for just five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. This is a great time to do it, too, because this is the finale of season 11, and during the July-August hiatus, most of the new stuff will be for members only. I don't use this term lightly, but Ashley Daneman's album People Are Fragile is a masterpiece. Here's how it starts. I unseen in you I alone love the unseen in you I alone love the unseen in you and it shall not fade away Wander down to get your love I'm so excited to welcome the artist behind what I think is probably my favorite album of 2019. Uh, the album is called People Are Fragile, and Ashley Daneman is here to talk about it. Ashley, it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. It's awesome to, to have a conversation about this. Uh, I will just say, even though this show is not an example of journalism, I will just say in the interest of full disclosure that I, I did write the press release for this album, uh, but I uh, only work for album people and albums that I like anyway, so this album would have ended up on here no matter what, but I'll just I'll just say that so people know. Um, yeah. So this record, uh, you know, I just think is is outstanding. If there were any justice in the world, this would be on on radio everywhere, but you know. Unfortunately, we live in the world we live in, so it ain't. But uh, and I don't, I don't just mean jazz radio. I mean like radio that people would actually hear. I just, I just think this album is just brilliant from start to finish, and it, it's, it strikes me as a, a very vulnerable record, kind of from the title to the cover to the content of some of the songs. Um, and I just wanted to ask you about, I guess, the repertoire on the album and how you started putting it together and how you started thinking of it kind of as a as a concept. Sure. Well, my music has always been a way for me to navigate being alive. And I write uh, about whatever I'm experiencing, either uh, that I'm aware of or that I'm subconsciously aware of. As I was writing some stuff and, and living life and being in um, a season of extreme heartbreak, I would say, I realized that it was going to be okay for me to 
to go there intentionally and make it not just like a track here or there, but actually just profoundly make it. Typically, you know, if you're trying to work as a musician, you would be considering what people want to hear or what would make people, you know, interested in your work. And I really decided that that was no longer relevant to me. What was important for me was to be honest with myself and with the world. And I felt like I could impact people for good most deeply if I did that, even if it were eight people. And so that was sort of how I gave myself permission to be all about grief and transitions and all of the things that are part of this record. is based in that story i think one thing this album does is highlight the wide range of emotional responses and colors that are possible even if the central theme is one of grief or one of transition because this album contains a lot of colors it contains a lot of different feelings it contains a lot of different expressions of the things that you're talking about it's not just it's not just an early Leonard Cohen record or, uh, you know, something like that. That's just, you know, somber from the first note. It, it, I feel like it expresses many different sides of the idea of grieving and, and loss and heartbreak. Yeah. I think that, um, we just, we can't, we, we can't separate the good and the bad or the light and the dark out from each other in life. Like, we just we have to be in this place of acceptance that there's going to be both, and um, it's it's all real. And so I think in my life I've oscillated between, well, you know, being severely mentally ill and there's only darkness to like I'm doing awesome. There, every you know I'm having amazing fantasies about like how cool my life is, following my dreams. Um, and just ping-ponging all around. And um, I know a lot of people try to 
just live in one place or they do just live in one place or the other, but really it's just, it's just all the things mostly all the time, or at least that's what I'm working on as a person is integrating all the things all the time, all the joy, all the deep emotions that are uh, unpleasant, stuff like that. As recently as this morning, I think it was, you posted something on social media about changing your viewpoint about the idea that we can have it all is the right place to center oneself. And that so that sounds like something that is, I don't know, I don't know if it's intention with what you just said or if it's an extension of what you just said, uh, but it, it sounds like you're coming to a different place around, you know, balancing family and pursuing your music as a, you know, as a kind of full-time touring musician, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, can you talk about that a little? I have three children. I'm I'm not able to do, spend my time in the ways that, that I would want to spend them if it were up to me. <laughs> I, as much as I love my children and want to personally care for them, it's completely overwhelming. It's 24-7. There is no balance in, in my experience, even though I have a great co-parent as a spouse there's just for for me for a creative deep diver type who wants to go into like these emotional mental landscapes and kind of live there and write music or find new things artistically like I can't be there for you know more than a few hours and that really is just not conducive to working and I've just decided with this album that as passionate as I am about the message of this music and as much as I feel like I can comfort people by performing, I just can't push myself anymore to the point of exhaustion because earlier in life that was really based on striving and it was based on trying to feel important by getting to a certain place in my career. And I've let all of that go for better or for worse, it's, I mean, it's better for me. I'm sad that I don't have the career that I want, but I I have peace because my life doesn't allow for it without me killing myself over striving. It's so, it, I don't know if interesting is the right word. That sounds almost callous, but it's, it is interesting to hear you say that because the, the episode before this was with Claudia Acuna, who's a single mom, and there were 10 years that elapsed between her the record before the one she just put out and the one she just put out and she was told when she had her her son that her career as a musician was over uh, she told that by a lot of her friends and and fellow artists including many women and we've almost come all the way around on the pendulum where before people didn't expect uh you know in the in our patriarchal society people didn't expect women to have careers now we've come around almost full circle to the point where we don't expect you to have any balance in your lives where we just expect you to do it all. If you're going to be a fully realized woman, then you should be able to be a full-time mom and a full-time, whatever it is you do for a living and a member of your community and all those things. And so uh, it strikes me as kind of difficult to say, like that's actually not tenable for at least one person's, you know, mental health. Yeah. It's not tenable for me. And I, I'm okay with that. And I did, I did choose to have kids and I had three kids and they're all spread out. I had a kid at 25 and then I had a kid at 38. So that's, <laughs> that's covering a lot of years. And I just really consciously did 
want to have a family. And I thought, well, at the end of my life, if I have either a great career or a family and one or the other, then I choose my family. Because I do think that we have to choose a lot. Unless you, you're already well-established before you have kids. I think that can that can help you. Um, I don't know. I'm glad that she came back. That's amazing. I look forward to being able to play again and create full force in the future. But I'm um, not really, like, crying about it every day. I've, you know, accepted that this is my choice and this is what it means in this day and age and for me and I'm I'm fine with it. And even if at the moment you're not uh, spending a lot of your time, you know, focusing on performing and touring, you still seem to be very involved in the world of music, primarily as a a person who helps coach and teach other singers and musicians. Can you talk about that? When my husband and I moved to the Midwest, there wasn't the same type of work here for musicians that there is in New York City. And so we we eventually realized that we wanted to create work for ourselves and for our friends who um, have jazz experience. You know, there's a good jazz school here. And um, so there were some people playing um, music and we wanted to create opportunities for ourselves and for them. So we started a jazz school. It's like a community jazz school for all ages. And um, we have some ensembles and teach private lessons. So going this route was really a positive choice because it allows us to stay home and earn money and, you know, share what we know with a community that really wouldn't have access to this type of like formalized opportunities. What's that been like? Can you talk about the kind of people who've come for lessons and the kind of community that's, that's being built in the school? Sure. So, um, well, our, our faculty come from about like, an hour and a half or two hours away to to people who live here in Kalamazoo. And all of them have master's degrees and performance experience in jazz specifically. So there's about uh, 12 to 14 people 
um, in every instrument, helping teach those lessons with us and performing, doing um, shows here and just helping, you know, represent and teach jazz here for us. And then who they're teaching is everyone from high schoolers and middle schoolers who are in our large ensembles and wanting to go into music as a career and really trying to get those high level technical skills um, to six year olds and 10 year olds. And, and then even folks who are adults and who played earlier in life and put it down to go work a job uh, and support their family. And now they're getting back to it. And that's particularly cool. I think. Are there particular things that you think you bring to the subject of teaching people about singing and or making music in general, just based on the way you also approach singing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, 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 um, I'm really into technique and I got wonderful training under Kate McGarry, Theo Blackman and Peter Eldridge. And, um, they work with Jeannie Lovitri, who is um, founder of somatic voice work. So, I'm really into the technical side of singing, very much so. But I also don't care about it at all if it doesn't serve the emotional transaction or communication that, for me, is what singing is about. So um, with my students, I it's and probably very annoying, but <laughs> for me, I really want them to know why are they singing the song, why did they choose it, what what are all of the lyrics, what do they mean, like, and what do they mean to them? And do they have a story in their life that connects to this? And if they don't, can they come up with an emotional connection to the lyric? And And I really invite them slash insist that any arranging that they do of their song should inform this story. It should bring more and more context to the emotional background of the story. And I realized, like, that's just my aesthetic. That's my viewpoint. And, you know, it's, I'm very opinionated about it. I don't, I like other music that doesn't do that, but not as much. I'm really looking to be able to feel another person when they sing. I really want to feel connected to them. And I want, it makes me feel like I can feel myself when someone shares themselves with me in that really, vulnerable personal way and it makes me feel alive i mean i could point to 12 out of 12 tracks on people are fragile that demonstrate what you just said but one of the ones that kind of jumps out at me is the version of sometimes i feel like a motherless child and particularly the way it ends uh with this kind of repeated vocal line that ends midline and there's just this you know solo piano few chords that bring it to a close motherless child no matter no matter no matter even though I was a motherless child no matter no matter no matter no matter no matter no matter Even though, even though, even though 
that's one of those tunes that's been around in many of our lives you know since we were since we were kids and has been around in the culture of this country for a very long time and it feels completely fresh and new and it also feels absolutely exposed which i think can be really tough to do with a song that people know very well um i just i think it's and again as i say i I could have chosen just about any one of these 12 tracks but to me it's a really beautiful example of that of making an arrangement and an approach to a song even one that is that is well known that suits the particular person who's singing it and exposes something you know about that person i think it i think it's just really brilliant that's not really a question but there you go yeah i mean that that wasn't an arrangement per se it was just like you know that pianist rufus ferguson i have that relationship with him musically where we can just say okay you're gonna play and i'm gonna sing and it's gonna so there was no arrangement as improvised live i find a song that has something for me to say in it and i really i quite literally sing it as if i wrote it I have I have imagery, you know, going on. I mean, the, the emotions for me are really real because that's my goal. I don't I don't see any point to sing a standard if if it's not like I wrote it. Say more about that. How do you get to that place where it's like you wrote it? Well, it, it's not every song, and and uh, <laughs> people close to me know that you know I'm not someone you want to call just to like. I mean, I want people to call me this thing, but honestly, like, I hate singing songs that I'm not connected to. I really, it's just, you know, I don't understand the point of that. Like, have a saxophone play it. Seriously. I mean, I don't know if you've heard about this thing called the mother wound. Have you heard about this? I haven't. Okay, so it's like a psychology term to explain... um, wounding that people get either from a mother who was absent or abusive or otherwise unable to protect them or it can be um, just from that it can be from a good mother who had their own wounding and therefore passed that down via mothering so it just talks about the the gaps in nurturing that we have and and how it affects us deficits that we have from not being mothered you know it doesn't have to be by your mother per se as much as i had food and 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 clothing and i was not enslaved um i 100 percent relate to feeling like a motherless child so it's just i just practiced going there over the years that's really how I get there. It started in my 20s when I started singing standards, and I and some guy confronted me, and he's like, "I really want you to sing to me, and and tell you know." And teachers helped me like tell tell your story, and I was kind of like, "Yeah, that sounds horrible. That I'm not gonna do that." But <laughs> then I I went to grad school at Manhattan School of Music, and and Kate McGarry is encouraging me. She's like, "Yep, go there. You got to tell this story." And so, you know, over this last 15 years that I've been singing, I've just gotten really a lot of access to, to myself and to those deep emotions. And I, that, that route is paved already because I practice it.
Let's take a break from the music to talk about membership. I've been recording conversations with jazz musicians since 2007. I think it's important work that deserves public support, and I'd like to be able to do it for my living. If you agree that the Jazz Session is worth supporting, become a member today for just five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You'll get a monthly bonus episode, early access to every show, and a yearly gift. 41 people stepped up to support the show during Season 11, which ends with this episode. There'll be a few things in the main feed during July and August, but members will get the majority of the content during the hiatus. So join today, then you won't miss out on a thing. Go to thejazzsession.com slash join. Now back to the episode. talk about singing in a way that I I think it's more common for people to hear artists talk about acting that idea of having every range of your emotions kind of right at the surface level you know always available to you for whatever is required and uh, you know I don't really know very much about acting but from you know the things I've seen the interviews I've seen and the things I've read it seems like a lot of people do that by kind of channeling experiences particularly childhood experiences in some cases to uh you know to connect them with the more kind of raw pure emotions so that it seems real because it is real and that mm-hmm. feels very much like what you're describing in terms of your approach to singing that it's it's not about faking sincerity it's about being able to dip into this well of you know pain or joy or whatever it might be for real yeah when you sing it's very for real and and when i get in front of an audience uh, I'm very empathic, so I'm the first thing I do is try to feel the audience. I try to figure out what I can know about them. I consider every gig a, a sacred experience, and I feel that it's my opportunity to, like, I don't know, help people. So given the number of jazz shows that it's possible to go to and you know, where it's just like your standard, you know, oh, hey, they're singing Days of Wine and Roses and that kind of thing. How do audiences tend to react to you, given that while that sounds like a really honest and true way to perform, it also sounds like it's a little more demanding of an audience than maybe what they are sometimes used to, because they're going to see into someone's actual lived experience as opposed to just hear a bunch of kind of comfortable songs. I I have never performed this music for a non-listening audience. I'll tell you that much. And I won't ever do that ever. That would be like, I don't know. (laughs) I can only think of like horrible analogies right now, but um, I would never perform this music 
or people who are not available to receive it. It's just that's what this music is. It's it is like going to see a musical, right? And musicals are not or a, a play, right? You don't go see a play in a restaurant like we see jazz music in a restaurant. You go and you sit and you prepare yourself, right? And that is what I'm interested in doing. Um, and again, like you mentioned, there's nothing theatrical per se around it, like about it. Yeah. So I do not play gigs that I'm not going to be in a listening environment, first of all. So yeah, people at this point, people know what they're going to get at, at the shows that I play here because it's just clear when I advertise, like, this is what this is. <laughs> so you're just like passing out packets of Kleenex at the door and that kind of thing. I, <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's one of my highest compliments, right? Or people will text me after the show and, and or people when they got the album, I got several texts saying like, I'm crying right now. Oh my gosh, right? Because, yeah, I mean, that's my highest compliment. I don't know. I just know that there are people like me and I can't worry about making music for people who don't need me. What an incredibly liberating way to feel. I... Yeah, I mean, there's only eight of us, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a really committed eight. That's exactly how mm-hmm. I feel about this show. I've been doing this show for yes. for 12 years, and I feel like the people who comment to me are mostly the same people who were commenting to me in 2007. And I know there are more people than that because I can see the download numbers, but I still feel like there's about six listeners. And so when I'm doing these shows, I'm just like, like, I know their names. And I, well, and after I did my tour when I was homeless there, I know a lot of their couches too, because I've stayed with them. So wow. now I'm just like, as I think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, this person's definitely going to like this interview because this is the kind of stuff that they like. And there's something really liberating about not worrying. Uh, now, let me just, if I can insert real quick into here, I'm not saying to all you people who are listening right now and are not members that you shouldn't be members. You definitely should. And please don't take this the wrong way. But there is definitely <laughs> something liberating about not worrying about whether the people who are never going to get it are going to get it. Because yeah. why spend your time doing that? It just doesn't make any sense. Well, and that's that's been my experience in, in my relationships with people in life that's what i've learned like oh you can't you know that reba mcintyre song uh i can't make you love me if you don't yeah <laughs> and hashtag i'm fine with that now <laughs>
We talked a little bit uh, before we started recording. Uh, um, you were just asking me what I was doing with my life, and I, as I was describing it, I was saying that one of the difficulties is that almost everyone around me doesn't really understand what it is that I'm trying to do, really through no fault of their own, but just most of the things I'm trying hard to do are kind of counter to the markers of success that we've all been trained to recognize. And I feel like in many yeah. ways that seems to be kind of where you are now. Like you, you know, you you say publicly things like I'm not really focusing on my career as a, you know, musical artist right now. And that's that's a thing that almost no one ever says. I mean, just you know, people just don't yeah. come out and say things like that because <laughs> we're like trained not to, you know, kind of in our Instagram, you know, culture, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter culture. Even if it were true that you weren't working on your career, you would do everything in your power to make it seem like you were. And and you just don't do that. You just kind of are who you it's, are. I mean, it's, it's inauthentic. And for 10, 12 years, I just, you know, we're all trying to get people to listen to us and to like us and to follow us and to come to our gigs. And, oh, my God, it, it's exhausting. And, you know, I just was like... I finally realized, you know, this album was, I, I, I just couldn't be prouder of it. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with my art and, and no amount of followers or people hiring me will change the, the depth of what I did. And that was a really great place for me to get to because it's just like, I'm free. Like, yeah, I'm not competing anymore the end <laughs> I will say that I find it mildly annoying after having been a, a practicing Buddhist for the last 20 years to talk to someone who I don't think is a practicing Buddhist at all who seems to have figured it out way better than I have so uh, <laughs> you know that might put a crimp in any future friendship we have just because of my <laughs> level of jealousy which is again a failure of my Buddhism so <laughs> that's awesome uh, uh. I'm not gonna stay on this side of the I'm gonna cross over, yeah, yeah, yeah. I may not know much about the other side, but I'm gonna go and I'm gonna see what I see. I'm gonna do what I do, and I'm gonna cross over, yeah. Gonna cross over, gonna cross. Gonna swim, gonna fly, gonna cross over, yeah. I really want to make sure that we mention who's on this record because I really do think this album is a masterpiece. And I think a big part of that is because of the incredibly empathetic playing of all of the people who are on the album. Uh, who, uh, so can yeah, you talk right? about who's on it with you? Yeah. So Rob Clearfield uh, is based in Chicago. Uh, I live in Michigan, Kalamazoo. So instead of coming back to New York to record, I went to, mostly to Chicago. Um, Rob is 
Wow. Uh, I, I don't know. He's just, just like right there. He's, he's a super emotional player. He's super intuitive. I mean, I've just always liked working with him and we have a nice musical chemistry as well. So like when we do that, this duo, uh, which is, did ever, did anyone ever show you a lie? Um, it's, essentially like this huge improvised section and wherever we go, we go. And I mean, that's the type of person I need as my cohort and my desire to just like do these things. Um, Andrew vote on uh, electric bass is really similar um, in terms of just, yeah, he's just a killing basis and um, very, I think emotional and passionate too, when he plays, um, and I've always enjoyed his choices. Um, and then for, I knew those guys, you know, they were my buddies and I have worked with them a lot, but I knew that we would be like too like creamy and unbalanced <laughs> if we didn't have some, a little bit of like fire and, and grit. Not that they can't do fire and grit, but I knew that I needed um, a compliment to that rhythm section um, and so that's why I asked Micaiah McCraven to be on the album because he really brings that, that edge and that compliment to what we're doing to, I think, make a really nice meal for the songs. Also on drums, we have Quinn Kirchner and, um, he's great. He has all these textures and colors. He was a, a friend of Rob and Andrews. So he's on some of the tracks that were less, um, beat oriented. And then Matt Gold, he plays guitar. He's uh, He also plays lap steel on it. Um, he was introduced to me as well, but uh, he ended up just being, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Matt and his playing. He brings so much sensitivity as well. And he runs Flood Music, which is a Chicago-based artist-run label and he liked the music so much that he wanted to put it out on flood music so that's the connection there so i'm really appreciative for him helping me out with that also rufus ferguson he's another pianist he and i both live here in kalamazoo and he and i did the spirituals together he grew up in the african-american church playing spirituals and gospel music and that was a, a really specific sound that I wanted to bring along with knowing that he and I have really good chemistry as well together. And finally, um, Kevin Bujo Jones is a guest on percussion on my man's gone. Now Kevin, uh, has heard the world and now he lives in West Michigan. Like I do. Uh, he played with the Isley brothers and Whitney Houston back in the day. And, you know, he plays with all the cats and then he fell in love and now he lives here. So that was really fun. Uh, he also teaches at our jazz school as well. I've been talking on this show, which is, by the way, the season finale of season 11 uh, with Ashley Daneman, whose new album is called People Are Fragile. It's just it's absolutely brilliant. And uh, I, I couldn't be happier to have a chance to talk to you about it. And just, you know, thanks for being who you are. I think the world needs more people who are like you. Thanks, Jason. Uh, right back at you. And that's it for season 11 of The Jazz Session. If you like what you just heard, become a member for five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. 
Thanks to this week's guest, Ashley Daneman. Thanks also to the Respect Sextet for the theme music there at respectsextet.com. Dave Rabel designed the logo. You can find The Jazz Session on Facebook at facebook.com slash thejazzsession. Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H. Instagram at thejazzsession. I post a clip from the archives each weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Instagram and Twitter, so follow along to see those. Please do rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help. I have a newsletter at thejazzsession.com. Just click on the newsletter tab. It comes out twice a month. That is it for weekly episodes until September when Season 12 kicks off with Noah Preminger and Jane Monheit and Angela Davis and many more. Meanwhile, members will get lots of cool content and non-members will get some free things as well. So come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.